Hello, my friends, and welcome to the 25th episode of Patterson in Pursuit. I'm coming to you from outside an airport in Mississippi. I was speaking at a conference here over the weekend and had a grand old time. It's wonderful to be back down south where everybody is nice and it's still sunny even in October. This interview you're about to listen to did not come from Mississippi. In fact, it came from Albany, New York. The topic today I think you guys are going to love. We're talking about artificial intelligence and consciousness. Can machines have minds? Can they have consciousness? Or are those even two different things? To help me answer this question, I'm talking to Dr. Bram van Heuveln, who comes from Holland, so everybody calls him Professor Bram. He teaches at Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, which is known as the oldest tech university in the English-speaking world. And he's also part of the Minds and Machines program in cognitive technology. Now, speaking of minds, if you find that your mind is stuck at your university and it's not being exercised in the way that you think it should be because your professors don't know what they're talking about or your fellow students don't know what the heck they're talking about, or if you want to avoid the university experience altogether, the sponsor for the show is a company called Praxis, which is a company that specializes in taking ambitious young people and training them for the real world. They offer you a six-month paid apprenticeship, and after you complete the program, they'll give you a contractually guaranteed job offer for at least $40,000 a year. Now, I spoke with the CEO of this company over the weekend because he was also at this conference, and I asked him, are you aware of any product that is in existence which contractually guarantees a job offer? And he, said, and he laughed, and he said, no. <laughs> and nor am I. Now, that sounds too good to be true. I assure you, it isn't. And that's why this organization Praxis is exploding in popularity. So if you want to be a part of that, head over to their website, discoverpraxis.com. And on their homepage, they have a button that says schedule a call. Click it, set up an appointment, and see if it's right for you. So in addition to having your mind stimulated by the Praxis community, I hope that you find the same effect from this interview with Professor Brahm at RPI. Okay, so first of all, thank you very much for sitting down and talking with me, Professor Brahm. Okay. Well, thank you for having having this uh, opportunity for me to talk about this. I, I enjoy, I really love talking about this material. So I recently got back from a conference um, when I was in California. And when I was there, there was a great number of people who were worried about um, AI. There was the AI risk. They think this is an existential risk. Uh, the world might end up being destroyed, not by a nuclear holocaust, but by from a, a technological AI revolution. And I was trying to follow along with their arguments. And I kept getting hung up on one part, and that was some claims about the nature of artificial intelligence kind of from a metaphysical perspective. So they were talking about computer reasoning in a very similar way that we talk about human reasoning. And I, I'm not sure if that's an accurate way to think about how computers calculate, but I don't really know anything about the subject matter. So I was hoping you could kind of lay out some of the basics for me. When you're thinking about artificial intelligence, what are some of the similarities or the differences between computer calculation and human calculation or reasoning? Oh boy, that's <laughs> a difficult question. <laughs> well, and there are a lot of you know, sub-questions in there. Yeah. Um, so the uh, I can sort of see the the issue with you know with this conference that you that you went to where it's 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 hard for us to think of other kinds of intelligence you know other than our own right and so when we contemplate the idea of of computer intelligence machine intelligence right it's easy to say oh well it's kind of like our intelligence but you know more so maybe right mm -hmm. um, and and maybe that would lead indeed to a kind of you know 
doomsday scenarios that you get because they're like, well, you know, I mean, there's some there's some really bad people in the world, you know, doing doing bad things or or um, or, or or making mistakes or uh, maybe these these AIs, you know, do similar kind of things. You know, we, I, so I think we kind of extrapolate and, and you know from our own from our own experience and say, oh, you know, I mean, as humans, right? We, we you know we're fighting or or at least there's tensions and then we flex our muscles and. Um, and you know, as a species, you know, our whole history, our whole his experience has been one of you know survival is, is very very important. So we again we we transfer those notions to I think to to AIs as well. But but who knows? Maybe the AIs have absolutely no interest in, in any of those those concerns that we have you know as as a human experience, mm -hmm. right? So so I'm I'm with you. I mean, that if that was your concern, if that was your <laughs> you know, you know, if that was the premise that you were sort of questioning, I'm, I'm like, yeah, that, that's not clear that that's going mm -hmm. to happen. So we, even when you talk about that, or I think when anybody talks about it, we talk about computers as, well, maybe they wouldn't be interested in such and such. Is that correct? When we talk about, you know, if I say I'm interested in some particular subject matter, that means something that I think is fairly clear to me. But does that port over to computer technology? Could computers be interested in, in things? Oh, I, I think at some point they can be. You know, I'm 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 a believer in in the possibility of artificial intelligence for sure. That you now that that we create, you know, that it's possible to create something that we say, yeah, it has a mind of its own. It's mm -hmm. it is intelligent. Um, you know, all the normal things we ascribe to to humans in terms of those terms, right? Having a mind. You know, that we will do this to machines, uh, too. Um, in fact, maybe already are doing some of that. So does that include? Like conscious awareness and and feeling and and what we might call qualia and subjective experiences. Yeah, you have to go there, didn't you? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so that is, of course, you know, really tough. Or now, can machines be be conscious? Um, you know, and, and like like so many philosophers, you know, yeah, I, I, consciousness is such a difficult one. I don't, I don't really know what to think about this. I, I do reject, you know, the sort of straightforward, oh, we'll be able to reduce it to brain activity, uh, you know, we'll see that connection. I, I don't see that, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't buy into the, you know, the typical materialist reductionist story. Oh, really? Um, you know, nor am I, you know, a classical dualist. You know, I don't believe any of this, you know, soul or spirit stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but but you now there is something indeed something very mysterious about kind so what then is this then right I mean we're missing something and so can machines have this you know I see no reasons why they why they can't but I also don't have a good argument that they would have because I just don't understand consciousness you know I spend a good part of my thesis on it and in the end I made no progress <laughs> <laughs> so you think it's at least conceptually possible that we could have something like thinking without consciousness, without conscious awareness? Yeah, I think, I think that is really quite unproblematic, um, thinking without... Yeah, I don't think consciousness is, is, necess, is necessary for, for thinking or intelligence. Um, again, you know, we, we might think it is, but you know, again, that comes from the human experience. Mm -hmm. um, and this is why I said earlier, I hinted that you know, maybe we, we already sort of talk about thinking machines. Um, you know, Turing, of course, predicted this 50 years ago, and, and I think he's right. I mean, we, we, we have gradually started to use that kind of vocabulary, oh, the machine mm -hmm. is, is thinking, or it's, you know, it's, you know, 
tentatively, but 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 yeah, gradually, you know, use that that vocabulary of, of mental mental goings on to, to machines when they when they're working away and um, mm. um, you know certainly you know memory and uh, you know we have reasoning machines. You know we say this machine figures it out. Um, you know, yeah, we, we, I think we already do some of those descriptions. No, but are current machines conscious? I don't know. I, I certainly don't think they're conscious in, in the, you know, to the kind of rich extent that we are. You know, in fact, if I had to say anything, no, no, no probably not. They're not conscious, but they're intelligent to some degree already. So let's unpack that a little bit. I think this is an excellent example because I'm a chess player. Mm-hmm. And there are the chess machines now beat even the highest rated players in the world substantially. And the way that people talk about chess machines is kind of using vocabulary that we that we would use. And specifically though, there is it's, it's, it's like the nature of calculation. It's calculating this variation, this variation. It chose this because it thinks this variation is superior. But when I use those terminology and I introspect and think about my own mental process when playing chess. It has to do with abstraction. It has to do with kind of conceptual reasoning that, okay, the bishop's got to be on the diagonal here. Is that what's going on with computers, though? Is there any abstract reasoning, or is it all just purely mechanical, you know, logic gates? Type <laughs> yeah, thing? yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. so, so now, you're, 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 uh, <laughs> now you're clearly on, on, on Alan Turing territory, right? <laughs> I mean, this, is, this is exactly what he responded to. He said so many people will, will you know, object to this notion of machine intelligence on, on, on the basis of that very argument. Yeah. They said, well, it's, it's just, you know, it's just you know, moving symbols around, and it's, it's just that, so how can that be intelligence? Um, and you know, Turing would say, well, first of all, take the human case. You know, uh, presumably, again, unless you're a classical dualist, but presumably, intelligence comes you know, largely from the human brain. And you know, if you if you zoom in on the on the human brain, you see, well, it's oh, it's just you know, neural firings. You know, it's, mm. uh, you see something similar there. So, so why the difference? Mm-hmm. Um, why why do we why do we sort of dismiss you know? machines as as a candidate for intelligence just because you know it we say well I know how it works right I mean this is uh, this, this is this is what was behind the Turing test um, so hey you mentioned chess so in 1948 Turing wrote uh, so two years before his famous paper you know basically known as the Turing test paper two years before that he wrote um, sort of a precursor to what we now recognize as, as the Turing test or imitation game, he said, take, take you know, a not so bad chess player, a human, right? Take a you know, not so bad computer program uh, that plays chess. And then, of course, a third person would be the interrogator who, you know, who is told, okay, well, you're, you're playing against you know, these, these two entities and, and figure out you know, as, you know, in response to your moves and, and what moves they do in response, figure out who's who. His whole point behind this, this thought experiment, right, which, again, we recognize the Turing test, but Turing's whole point behind this was, was, of course, not a test. I'll have a lot more to say about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, please, <laughs> please ask me about the Turing test. But um, uh, his whole point of that, of that, what he actually called a little experiment, he said, here's a little experiment that, showed, that illustrates the following point. When people know that it's a machine that is doing this, Right? And in particular, when they know that there's this 
fairly simple algorithm, right, that is, as you say, merely you know, moving symbols around, mm -hmm. right? Suddenly, we're very un become very unwilling to ascribe intelligence to this, mm. right? But in this kind of little experiment scenario, the sort of the more Turing test scenario, if we don't know that this is what's going on, well, now we're much more willing to ascribe intelligence to it because you know, we do the same for human chess players, of course, right? Uh, where, we, in a way, we don't understand the mechanism, right? So would it be fair to rephrase this kind of like this, that my claim is, okay, with humans, there's this abstraction and conceptual reasoning, and that's, that's what I'm calling intelligence. Computers, they don't have that, therefore there isn't intelligence. And what Turing is doing is saying, well, hang on, why do you claim in the first place that there is this additional stuff going on with humans? It's not that the computers lack something, it's that the humans might actually lack what, what well, you think is there. Well, to be clear, I think, I think a human chess player does something different, you know, approaches the problem differently than, than the chess computers, right? Mm -hmm. The chess computers you know, can consider far more moves than, than a human chess player. Uh, will and they do use, like you say, abstractions. You know, uh, more, much more con abstract considerations of positions, and you mm -hmm. know, sort of, you know, hey, the left side on the board looks weak, or you know, things like that. Um, so, I mean, there there are different approaches, right? But um, but before we go into that, yes, uh, the the other part of what you just said is exactly correct, right? Turing said we 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 we, we want to believe, right, that there's something special about human intelligence, you know, that goes beyond mere well, basic computation, right? And Turing's point was, no, even in a human case, it's not. The brain is, in essence, just a, a computational device. That's what it is. And really, it, in, right, it is, oh, what was his quote? It is uh, unimaginative donkey work, right, that is sort of, you know, <laughs> be behind this or, or below this, uh, okay. you know, that, that underlies this. And, and there really isn't anything more, right? So, but again, his point was, we're, we're sort of, if, if we know what the mechanism is, we're suddenly unwilling to say that is intelligence anymore, right? So, so there's, a, there's a number of points here. One is, we don't really know what intelligence is, Turing said. Right? We don't really know what it is, right? Yet we all use these words, mm -hmm. right? We all mm -hmm. describe it to each other as humans, right? So at the very least, let's try to be fair about this. That, that, and, and by the way, I ascribe intelligence to other humans because mostly on the basis of their behavior. Right? I don't. I don't open up your skull and go like, "Oh, it, you know, I see you're very intelligent. Look what I'm what I'm discovering here." Right? No, I, I don't do that at all. I, I I wouldn't even know what to say if I open up this, your skull and see what's going on in your brain. Right? But so if if we ascribe intelligence on the basis of behavior and in our interactions, the whole point of the Turing test is then we should do the same thing for machines. Right. Okay. Whatever intelligence means or, or is, right? At least be. Let's try to be fair in our usage of the language. So let's grant that word. Let's say it is the case unequivocally, just for the sake of argument, that machines can have intelligence. It's kind of a. It's kind of an ambiguous word, but whatever it is, they have it. Mm -hmm. There's still this other thing going on, which is the abstraction. So when, I, when we're talking about, you know, Magnus Carlsen, who's best chess player in the world, when we say there's, is there something fundamentally different going on in the mental processes of a human than there is a computer? So is there, when we talk about abstraction, what is that? Separate from Met intelligence. Metaphysically, yeah. no. Uh, is what is going on in, 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 in uh, uh, 
Magnus Carlsen, mm-hmm. was that right? Magnus mm-hmm. Carlsen is is what is going on now when he thinks is it is it something other than computation? Mm-hmm. Alan Turing would say no, and I'm one who's uh, who's inclined to believe no. I believe that that it it all reduces to computation. Again, you know, I'll leave consciousness aside, right? Mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Uh, as far as information processing goes, uh, in the end, so that's all computation. So in that sense, there's no fundamental difference. Okay, but within computation, of course, you have many different architectures, right? You have the classical sort of logic-based architecture, you've got your neural network kind of architecture, mm-hmm. dynamical mm-hmm. system architecture, and even, even, if, even if you do use classical architectures, you know, you can do the, you know, the total you know, brute search approach you know, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. that you know, many chess computers are using, right? But you can throw in, you know, uh, more heuristics, right? And again, every time you get a different, a different architecture, a different algorithm, a different approach of doing so. And, and in that, yes, I don't think a, comp- a chess computer is like a human chess player. There but, are differences on that level. But when you reduce it down to the fundamental metaphysical what's going on, it is the same. So in principle, we could construct a computer that had some structure whereby you would get what we call abstraction. Yes, I yes. believe it's true. And of course, the argument is uh, all of cognition seems to be information processing, or at least can be looked at in such a way. And memory, storage of information, reasoning, inferring information, you know, decision-making, you know, taking into account all this information mm-hmm. and, and, and you know, doing further inference. And, um, if we can if we can characterize cognition as as, as information processing and, and and computers right if they're anything they're information processors right so um, there's a bit of a you know um, distributed mid, you know middle there computers are information processors you, you know cognition information processing of course that doesn't in itself doesn't show that cognition reduces to computation right but Turing, yet again, Turing in his 1936 paper, right, of the Turing computer, showed that basically all information processing can be done by a Turing computer, and, and right, he basically showed us, look, you can get enormously complicated information processing abilities from a Turing machine, which is a thing made of very simple components, very dumb components, right? But you put enough of them together and you, and you, and you do enough operations, you will get any level of, of information processing out of that, right? So that then may now becomes actually a strong argument that, okay, so even our cognitive abilities, um, if they're just information processing abilities, Turing, you know, they should be Turing computable. This, this should be within reach. I'm going to ask a question that's going to bring us back to the consciousness thing, but indirectly. <laughs> so when we're identifying different things that exist. It's usually we identify things you could say from the outside. So when I'm looking at objects, I look at what they look like, their form, their shape, whatever, and I assign them a label. This is a little bit different when we're talking about living things. So what distinguishes, you know, a cat from some other type of animal? Well, it's behavior. We start talking about how how does the thing act, and then we categorize it. But it seems like with these mental phenomena, we're not really categorizing things from the outside. We're almost categorizing it from the inside. That's, that's the way it appears to me when I say, mm-hmm. okay, what am I, and am I fundamentally a computer? I could say, okay, well, when I look at the machine, I got all these parts moving, yeah. okay, but there seems to be that thing lacking, which is what's on the inside, <laughs> or the consciousness, exactly. It's consciousness. You're getting a consciousness, not indirectly. Right. I mean, that, that's what you're talking about. But yes. it's, it still does, I would say, I guess maybe what I would say is when identifying specifically 
what I'm calling abstraction. So when I conceive of a concept and it's there, and I'm thinking about position in regards to chess. Mm -hmm. It seems like that identification is internal. I'm saying it because I have some kind of internal awareness of it that mm -hmm. nobody from the outside necessarily could see. And they, they dissected my brain. They're not going to see the abstract conception of position in chess. Well, that is not clear. The okay. last part, that's not clear to okay. me that, that we would, right, if, right, that a complete neuroscience would not be able to say, oh, well, you know, you're, I, I see you're, you're, you're approaching this problem, you're, you're trying to think about... They could see the, the actual abstraction as I see it? As I not, not as you're consciously, it? Not as you're consciously experience it, right? But uh, what we might say is, oh, you you're, you're you're, you're use this particular kind of computational approach to solve this problem of picking the best chess move. Yes, but w even when we identify it as this computational approach, isn't that still something from the outside? So I, I totally yeah, grant. Is. It is. But then what am I talking about when I'm talking about the inside thing? You're talking about consciousness. Well, what conscious is that? Experience. Well, I don't what know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so this is kind of a good way of getting back to the first question I ask you, because when I'm thinking about, maybe artificial intelligence isn't the right word, but when I'm thinking about the mind, mm -hmm. can you have the mind, as I'm referencing it, as from the internal perspective, on a computer, if that's a fundamental part of the equation, is that internalness, then my inclination is to think, well, that how could you possibly... <laughs> get that. You can't even see it. You can't even see it from right. the outside. It's just right. that, that internal perspective. Yeah, no, I understand. But, but just as I said, you can have intelligence without consciousness. I totally believe you can have minds without consciousness. I have no problem with that whatsoever. Right? I'm, I'm perfectly willing to ascribe minds to things without knowing that they even are consciousness. I mean, of course, the same is true of you. I don't even know if you are conscious. You will claim to be conscious. But, oh, interesting. Right? So then what, when you're conceiving of a mind, you're not adding the consciousness into the equation. You're saying there's data processing, there's uh, abstraction, but it's all grounded in the physical firings and the neurons. You're not even saying, though, the awareness, the feeling, the subjective part of it. For, for That's right. Interesting. That's right. Interesting. <laughs> now, when you say that, though, I can totally get on board with that. When you say that, it pushes me into something like a dualism because I say, well, hang on a second. <laughs> I have this other thing. Yeah. Doesn't that mean that there's something else going on here? Is there some no, other? No, I need no. to explain this well, phenomenon I mean, somehow. Materialism and dualism are not the only options. Okay. Right? And by the way, when you, when you say I'm kind of, right, I mean, there's, there's property dualism, you know, and, and, you know, Chalmerian, you know, new dualism is really quite different from, you know, the kind of classical okay. Cartesian dualism. Okay. So, I mean, there's, there's so many so many positions to hold. Can we dive in that to, into that a little bit? Because I'd, I'd like to know. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Just surface level. Yes. If we're, if we're saying that mental phenomena can be completely reduced to physical phenomena, however, there is, in addition to mental phenomena, there is conscious awareness. Mm -hmm. what, is the, what are some better explanations than saying, okay, that conscious awareness is a soul? that happens to be inside of a machine. Mm -hmm. Well, so um, I think part of, 
the, the best answer that I came up with with regard to consciousness, and I really don't proclaim to have the answer, and I'm as confused as everybody. And anybody who says I know the answer, I think is, is confused too, <laughs> really. <laughs> I think we should all be confused about this. It, um, so anyway, the sort of conclusion or, or you know, tentative position I reach is, I think a, a big part of the answer is is indeed you now what, what what is this physical thing right so mm. we used to have a fairly clear conception of you now what what is physics right it's something tangible right? we we conceived it as sort of you know tangible stuff I can grasp it I can you know paint it I can kick mm -hmm. it right and of course in modern physics you know it's like well, what happened to that, right? And the question becomes, well, what, what, what does it even mean to say something is physical? Mm. Um, and the best answer I could reach at, you know, to answer that is, is um, when we refer to something as, as physical, I think, well, what we're saying really here is it's something that, that seems like a cop-up, but, you know, something that, that that's physicists, you know, we study, you know, just like, you know, or it's, it's a kind of a perspective we we take on the world, right? It's, we bring to bear certain concepts and perspectives on the world, and that perspective is physical perspective, right? So when we say something is physical, we basically, I think we're saying, right, I can take that perspective and make sense of consciousness. Hmm. That, to me, is never going to work, right? Because whether it's physical, biological, chemical, anything scientific, remember, that is third person, that is objective. We right. say, Right, we demand in science that our observation be, you know, well, that things are publicly observable. What does that mean? As we all know, my experience is, is a construction, right? I don't perceive reality as it is, nor do you, not as anybody, right? What I experience is a construction of, you know, presumably due to my brain. We don't quite know how it is, but what is clear, we don't see reality as it is, right? And so when two scientists stand next to each other and then point to the same thing, right? They, point to, they both have their hands out and they point to something and say, do you see that? And the other one says, yes, I see that too. It seems like it's publicly observable, right? Mm -hmm. But they don't directly see the same thing, mm -hmm. right? So how then is something publicly, how is that even possible for things to be publicly observable? I think my best answer is because when I say, do you see, right? Are there three, t three chairs in the room? Right? You say, yes, there are. And I say, yes, I see those three uh -huh. chairs but too. Mean because, something different. Well, whatever your experience is that right now you're having looking around the room, right? There's, there's a certain structure, there's, there are certain abstractions that you have learned to make from your experience, mm -hmm. right? That tell you, you know, you know that, that make you say, yes, there are three chairs. I see three chairs. And I do the same thing, even though our experiences may, of course, be completely different, right? Mm -hmm. So, in other words, all of science right, is, in a way, an abstraction. Of course it is. It's a description, right? All science is, is a description. But even when we say it's physical, it, it's a perspective, right? And that perspective only gets us a, a, an abstract description of reality. But an abstract des description of reality, again, works well to you know, reduce chemistry itself to physics and, and explain things like life because those are... Those are all abstractions too. Those are all. That's all about functionality, composition, just the kind of things you can indeed reduce to each other, and and you know, and be, have a third person perspective on. Mm -hmm. But consciousness, just is. That's a first person thing. We can't abstract consciousness from consciousness, right? It's it's the one thing that's there, right? As Descartes was really clear about this. It's the one thing I'm certain, of its existence, right? Anything else, who knows? Right? That might not even be there. Now, I'm, I'm a realist. I believe that there is a 
physical world, or at least there, there is a world independent of, I think, I'm not a solipsist or idealist, anything like that, but what we say is physical only captures some of that world, right? And consciousness, it can't capture. It's now just not a, the I right agree perspective with you. to that. That's a very radical claim. I mean, that, to me, this, this takes the default philosophy of scientific materialism that I think people are very comfortable with. And that kind of turns it on its head when you're saying that consciousness is something that by its nature is almost not even open to scientific investigation or it's a category mistake to view it mm-hmm. as... That would seem to be the implication, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, I mean, I, not that we can't study consciousness. Right. Of course we can. We can bring in subjects to the lab and do things to Certainly, them and, yeah. and, then, you know, and then we can, you know, and then they will report on their, you know, their conscious experiences. And as such, you know, we can come to know lots of things about consciousness, but only sort of indirectly. We can only come to know how consciousness is associated to all those different physical conditions mm-hmm. and circumstances, right? But what consciousness is, we're not really getting at, right? So, and it's not clear that we can ever get to it. So in terms of coming back to the mind and artificial intelligence, what is... So I'm still looking for a more palatable alternative <laughs> than the soul, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, I mean the soul is is always seen as a thing, like this ingredient that you sort of you know put into this body and you're sort of yeah, it's a, it's a person, it's a yeah, being that yeah. that you know, it's li- me. Right, life was always seen like this too. Right, exactly. Life was this vital force. Exactly. You, know, you right, you and I have it inside of us, and you know, and rocks don't. You know, and exactly. It's, you know, that's all. That's all pretty silly. Um, <laughs> right. I mean, that, right. And of course, we say there's no fi- vital soul. Now, of course, the. The, the uh, eliminativists right, say, ah, and same for consciousness, right? right? The consciousness is like the vital soul. And now, of course, there I say, no, 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 no. Consciousness, we do know exists, right? There is a difference between consciousness right. and a vital force, right? The vital force was just a mistake right. that there is such a thing. But consciousness is, right? Uh, again, as Descartes said, that we're absolutely certain of. Um, so, but, but what then is that? It's... Um, I have some sympathy to, you know, Chalmers' kind of new dualism where he says, well, it's, and it, which is a, really a kind of property dualism, right? He says, look, there's still only one kind of thing. It's still a kind of a monist position in terms of maybe substance, right? But, mm-hmm. you know, but we have these physical properties, again, these abstract properties of functionality composition that we can study through the normal sciences, mm-hmm. right? So when, when we reveal those, you know, we can call those the physical properties. But then there's other properties to this, to this thing, right, that makes up the universe, right, whatever that is, right? And those would be the, well, the non-physical properties, you know, maybe what he calls the, the phenomenal properties, right? And so consciousness would be on that side of the coin. I don't know if I'm a property dualist either, <laughs> because again, you know, I think there's something... Because if you say, you know, if you, if you say, well, the phenomenal and the physical are both properties of the same thing, you sort of put consciousness on the same level, if right. you want, as physics. And I say consciousness, in a way, is more fundamental. It really is, right? Whereas physics, to me, is an abstraction. Right? Yeah. So I see a difference. I don't know if I want to be a, a property dualist either. It starts to sound like more like an idealism again, right? Yeah, that, it does. Right? Yeah. right? Yeah. That all the physical comes from the... The consciousness, but uh, that gets to, I, 
I, that gets too quickly into solipsism. I don't want to go. I, I want to be a realist. There is something that exists clearly outside of me thinking about reality. So, what do you think about something like this? That, in terms of what we're certain of, consciousness is a real fundamental phenomena in the universe. Yes. We have reason to believe that, in addition to the existence of that phenomena, there's also something that we've labeled as physicalness, mm -hmm. which is, there seems to be this, um, so I have the conscious experience of there being some kind of three-dimensional uh, existence, right? I have a visual feel, and if I'm aware of it, I think, okay, well, there's, there's, there seems to be this space, and there's these little things that occupy that space. Now, it might be the case that all that's just made up in my mind, just complete solipsism, I don't know, maybe. But it seems reasonable to believe that in addition to my consciousness, there is some other thing out there and that there's, a, there's some kind of causal interface between the two. Right? So, so it seems to be the case that if I bump into a chair, I have the conscious awareness of it. Yeah. And if, you know, if I want to move the chair, then mm -hmm. it, it seems like that external world moves around. So there seems yeah, to be yeah, that yeah. meaningful well, external, yeah, internal and, and we And we talk about consciousness, right? Now we're debating consciousness. Right? So, right. so, so we're we're, we're clearly doing something with consciousness, right? It has, clearly yeah. has causal force, right? And that, of course, is, is makes the idea that, oh, I can sort of talk about minds and intelligence just in computational terms, and sort of now pushing consciousness on the side. It does make me nervous sometimes. I'm like, is that, can I really do this? I mean, cognitive science, most cognitive scientists, practical cognitive scientists, do the same thing. They sort of put consciousness on the side. They're like, right. oh, well, let me just study reason. Let me just study perception, action, decision-making, problem-solving, et cetera. Right. Right from the computational kind of perspective, and, and sort of disregard consciousness here, we might be making a mistake there. I don't know. So, I, so I, I really don't claim to have the answer about consciousness. It is a real doozy to me. I'm a, a real <laughs> mind boggle. I am t flabbergasted about how to even think about. Well, this. good. Then I feel better about it because I'm in the exact same boat. <laughs> so you'd mentioned before that. You have a lot of thoughts on the Turing test. When we're trying to identify what type of things exist in the world, are there conscious things, are there intelligent things? Alan Turing came up with a very famous example of how we could try to judge or label whether or not something is intelligent or not. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so we, we refer to this as the Turing test. Um, as I mentioned earlier, right, the Turing, his precursor from two years ago, looks nothing like the Turing, like the Turing, well, it, it is the Turing test. It clearly is a precursor to the Turing test. But you don't get the idea, oh, this is a test. Turing puts this forward as a test. No, this was Turing's way of making a point hmm. to illustrate a kind of a prejudice, right, kind of biases on people's side in that, that would, you know, be in a way against the idea of machine intelligence. And I, I still regard the Turing test as such. So, in fact, I don't want to call the Turing test a test at all. Right? People after Turing, or, or once Turing sort of got these ideas out there, I think a lot of people took that to be a test. I think Turing himself sort of started to run with that idea too. If you look at his later you know, comments, he hmm. started to take seriously that maybe, okay, maybe this is kind of a test. But initially it wasn't, and I think that is the best way to look at the imitation. Hmm. I always urge my students. I don't want to hear Turing tests. What I want to hear is imitation game. And what the imitation game is, again, it's a thought experiment to show to us people 
look, you guys, you're, you, you have this prejudice against the notion of machine intelligence. Right? Just because you think it's, oh, it's made of metal and wires, you know, it can be intelligence. Or just because it's just merely shuffling numbers and symbols, it can be intelligence, mm -hmm. right? He wanted to, like, oh, here's a good way to think about this. We've all, we all know the kind of stories where, you know, say a girl tries, you know, wants to be on the baseball team, the boys' baseball team, and, and the boys say, oh, you're a girl, you can't play baseball, you're not allowed on the team. And of course, what does she do? She dresses up like a boy, mm -hmm. right? And of course, does the tryouts, and of course, she's great, she gets on the team, and, you know, and the team, of course, wins the championships. She probably has the winning hit, and they hoist her up in the <laughs> air, and her cap falls up, and out come the long hairs, and, oh my goodness, it's a girl. Right? And now we're sort of shamed into saying, oh, I guess, shit, right? Now we have to eat dirt, right? right it's right. like, oh, I, I guess, I guess girls can play ba baseball after all, right? I think that was Turing's point of the imitation game. He wanted us to eat dirt, right? That sort of we're being revealed, oh, no, we're sort of being caught in describing intelligence as something, and then, oh, oh, but it was a machine. Oh, oh, right? I've never heard this before. That's actually, that, I think that's an excellent point, but... It does make me think that perhaps what's going on is people like myself are interjecting consciousness into intelligence. So that's why we say, well, it can't be, you know, the machines, the wires, the metal wires, mm -hmm. they can't have intelligence because what is intelligence includes this additional thing. Mm -hmm. So maybe it was justification. That's the way I kind of look at it. No, I, I, yeah. I understand that, yeah, yeah. right? But here's the other point of Turing. Uh, definitely in his 1950, his famous paper, uh, May 2, Right. Um, he said, I believe that in about 50 years' time, the use of language will have changed so much that we are comfortable with this term, you know, thinking machines. Mm -hmm. Right. And hmm. that is a really important point. And I think he, he proved to be exactly right about this. As I mentioned earlier, I think we are starting to use that kind of vocabulary. Mm -hmm. Right. Now, maybe we still kind of put it in quotes. Right. But I think Turing's point would have been, look, Again, the imitation game, if, if, it was, if it was any kind of test at all, it was clearly an only test for human intelligence, right? But what we need to do is to have a much broader view on this notion of intelligence, right? Uh, so first of all, there may be many kinds of intelligence, right? That, so just like, you know, we now realize, you know, Pluto isn't your typical planet, right? And so we start calling it a dwarf planet, right? Maybe we need these different gradations of intelligence, right, different right. kinds of intelligence. Mm. Maybe, right, that would actually make sense to move towards that, right? Um, a lot of people, again, take this, this imitation game as a test, right? And then subsequently, they, you know, they, they object to it, they criticize it, and you know, they're like, oh, but you know, it's too easy to deceive the interrogator. Right, Look, right. It is really not a great test. Right, right, right. right? There, there's so many things that are just un left, completely left unspecified. Who is the interrogator? What are the questions about? How long does exactly. it take place? All of that is left unspecified. Now, Turing was no dummy, right? He realizes this is not a scientifically respectable way of going about intelligence, right? And so, no, he, I, 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 doesn't, I don't believe this, that he really proposes, at least not initially, as any kind of practical test for intelligence. Right. No way. Right? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I just saw some article the other day, a news article about some researcher created a chat program that 
oh my gosh, it passed the Turing, passed yeah, the yeah, Turing yeah. test. Well, well, see, and here's exactly what happens, and, and I predicted this 15 years ago. I said, look, because it's such a vague test, right, it's not going to be uh, any kind of momentous event now when right. something is in fact claimed to and it's exactly what happened right, right. we had this U eugene guzman that was sort of this chat thing jet bot right that presumably passed this turing test and and i guess it satisfied certain criteria that i laid down right so but you now was this is this huge thing in the world that like oh my god we got you now we got intelligent machines now the singularity no, is coming right you know then the AI community was mostly you know fairly dismissive about right. this right it's just not a big thing because it's such a vague criteria see unlike say like self-driving cars right it's very clear when we have this autonomous thing that, that drives a car exactly. and we got it and that was a momentous event you know and, and like chess again very clear Watson playing Jeopardy right very clear criteria you don't have this with with Turing so again I don't think he was trying to put forward a test. That's just nonsense. That's what we made out of it. When he lays out his, his imitation game in the paper, right, if his point was to lay out an actual test, you'd expect that in his paper, he would address a lot of objections to the test as, a, as an actual test. Yeah. And in the paper, he goes over a long list of what he calls objections to the main question. But what are those objections to? Not to the test, they're objections to the idea of artificial intelligence, period, right? In fact, he really doesn't address this whole test and how good it might be or might not be as a test. He doesn't do this at all. This was not, Turing did not see this as his contribution, right? He again just wanted to stick to the point, okay, what about artificial intelligence? So there's really two step part to Turing's argument that yes, machines can be intelligent. So again, the first one is goes back to his Turing machines. He says all of information processing can be done computationally, and that's really all the cognition is. There's a second part is, and I think there's where really the imitation game came in, why he put that in. It is because even when all the facts are in, when we know exactly what machines are and are not capable of, we are still faced with the question but is it intelligent? We will still be asking that question. This is not going to be settled by doing these kind of experiments, nor yeah. any kind of test, right? Rather, his point was, it is up to us humans to decide whether or not we want to apply this label intelligence to these things or not. And that is a decision we have to make. That is not something we can observe, we, right? We can't right. measure this and go like, this is now a fact that they are intelligent or not. Right? This is not a factual matter. This is something we have to decide. And, and there's an important point. Right? This, a, a lot of flashes have made the analogy with flight here. Right? We had to decide whether artificial flight, you know, the airplanes, was real flight or not. Right? Because someone might have said, well, birds flap, airplanes don't. So it's not real flying. Right? But we realized, no, there, there are way too many similarities between birds and airplanes to put the airplanes in the category of really flying things. So The same is going to happen according to Turing with intelligence, right? These machines are going to become things that start to behave in ways that can solve problems, can reason, can all those things that it is only going to make sense and it will be perfectly natural and normal to say, here's a thinking something. That's an excellent point, but it makes me think Somebody that, so I don't have a lot of background in artificial intelligence, but in hearing this, it makes me think there's a, a great deal of the confusion and the arguments come down to how are we going to use language? Yes. Really just what does intelligent actually mean? Because when you give yes. the flight example, I could imagine mm -hmm. lots of people making very long-winded arguments about how right. planes don't actually right. fly well, and what that here's means. here's how I like to put it. Yeah. 
forget about the word intelligence. Right. For one, it's a loaded term, right? When we say this thing is intelligent, that thing is not intelligent, it is not just, again, it's not just about what it can and cannot do. Now, there's a judgment, there's a value judgment right. in there, right? The intelligent thing is somehow important, has value, right? You know, needs to be respected, you know, uh, you know, maybe has rights, you know, things like that. But the non-intelligent somehow, you know, we, we were sort of dismissive about, right? So yeah. it's a very loaded term, right? And, and we realize this. Too, I th and this was one of the biases, of course, that I think Turing put his finger on, right? That, that you know, of course, as humans, you know, we don't want to give up our, our pedestal of, you know, of you know, these super intelligent beings. So as long as we can you know, hold off on saying, well, right. here's another thing, <laughs> a completely different kind of thing that is also intelligent, as long as we can do this, even if this just, just unconsciously, we will do this, right? So how much, if, if you think... So maybe the best way is to... Is, but maybe one way is to get, get rid of this word intelligence, it's a loaded term, right? Also, it refers to a whole family of things, right? It's just like mind, right? Mind itself, too. It's, it's equally problematic. Does something have a mind or not? It's not a yes or no kind of a thing, mm -hmm. right? We could be referring to, again, reasoning, decision-making, memory, perception, action, right? So you can have all mm. kinds of minds, right? And it's not a linear kind of a thing, too. We sometimes think of intelligence as sort of this one-dimensional scale, you know, with humans on top right. and, you know, rocks at the bottom. <laughs> and, you know, and then come ants and then dogs. No, it's a multidimensional thing with, you know, where some people are better at this one thing, other people are better at this other thing. And, and then when you throw in animals and when you throw in machines, you hit completely different spots in this right. multidimensional landscape. So let me ask you then, kind of in resolution, if a great deal of this has to do with the use of language, which I think it does, yes. then perhaps really, ultimately, the reason that so many people would object to artificial intelligence in principle has to do with specifically consciousness. Because I think when people are saying, like, I think few people would object that you can get behavior of mm -hmm. intelligence, you can mm -hmm. get action, you can get output of right. what we would otherwise call intelligence, but that critical thing that is, mm -hmm. they would say, fundamentally always going to be lacking is the consciousness. Do you think that maybe that's why? Because we can't play the language card there. No, I understand, yeah. right? Right. Because <laughs> <No. laughs> <Right. laughs> right? again, consciousness is just a fact, right? Right. Uh, there's consciousness there or, or not. Um, yeah, but again, I don't know if you're conscious or not, yet I I think you are, right? I, 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 I look at your behavior, right? I see, <laughs> so why see how you that respond, right? and I think the same is going, right? If we get this machine or robot out there, right, and it and it just behaves just like us, right, and it starts talking about consciousness, and it it's mm. you know it will start interviewing you know some philosophy professor about yeah, what about consciousness? You know, what, what is this thing that I have? You know that, you know that I'm not even sure that you have, right? Um, then I say probably it does have consciousness, right? I think that's an excellent note to end on. Um, so thanks so much for talking to me. This has been great. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Sure. Okay, so that was my interview with Professor Brahm. I hope you guys enjoyed it. As always, there's just so much more to talk about with these complex issues. And if you enjoyed that interview, could you do me a favor? Could you go to iTunes or Stitcher and leave a rating and a review? It makes a big difference, and it will help keep the show running. If you really like this interview, if you really like the content I'm producing, you can also check out patreon.com slash stevepatterson. You can help become a contributor to the show just by pitching in a dollar when a new episode is released. That's all for me. I hope you guys have a fantastic week.